right. Hey, good morning, Summit Church. Good to see you here today. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, yeah, I'm really glad to be in this part of Exodus with you. Uh, I'm excited just personally about being uh, in these passages, in these chapters. Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like this has just been uh, like a uniquely stressful week. And it's been a crazy week for me. Uh, yeah, from the very beginning. I don't know. Have you ever had one of those weeks where you just feel like anything that could go wrong does go wrong? I feel like that was my week. Uh, from the very beginning, super crazy. Uh, on Monday, you wouldn't believe this, but on Monday, one of my donkeys fell into a pit. <laughs> I mean, can you believe that? I mean, was, I don't know, my neighbor, he, I don't even know why he dug this pit, but one of my donkeys fell into this pit. And I mean, was, if, if that couldn't have been frustrating enough, then on Tuesday, one of my oxen, and I say, he never does this. But one of my oxen, he literally gored my other neighbor's oxen. Like in broad daylight. Like he just did it like, just to do it. And I was like, man. I mean, you guys know how this goes, right? It's just like so frustrating. Not only did I have to go list my oxen on eBay to split the proceeds, but then like, is there anything more awkward than a dead oxen in your neighbor's backyard? Gosh, Nothing. <laughs> Now, uh, if you're new here, uh, I live like five blocks away, so I don't actually own donkeys. Uh, but this morning, we arrive at a very famous scene within the Bible. Uh, th- this morning, actually, we come to Exodus chapters 19 all the way uh, through 23 and 24. We see God giving the people of Israel the law, the law. And, you know, I think right away, Right away, as as we just kind of come to this part of the Bible, for many of us, right away, we kind of run headlong straight into a problem, probably even a a handful of problems. You know, on one hand, I just joked about this a minute ago, but we get to this part of of the law, and we see verse after verse after verse about donkeys and oxen and and pits and, and managing slaves and crops and altars and sorcery, and you think, well, I'm not a farmer, and I'm not a witch, so this probably doesn't apply to me. Like, maybe like, I'm just going to kind of skip over a few chapters until I find something that seems to be a little bit more relevant for my life today. Or, on the other hand, you, like most people, read the Old Testament, and you get to the Old Testament law, and particularly laws about things like, I mean, you know, like you read laws about not eating pork, or, or laws about not eating shellfish, and you're like, gosh, barbecue, sushi, these are like two of my favorite food groups. I'll even eat those things together. And for many of you, like, this is why you're like, I can't really take the Christian faith seriously. Not only does a lot of it seem silly or obsolete, but some of it just feels downright offensive. And, you know, like for many of us today, for the average modern person, we come to this part of the Bible and we say, surely, surely you don't actually take this seriously. Surely you don't actually believe what this stuff says, the type of religion that's based on loss. Surely we've moved past that. And, you know, like, I get that. I, I, I get that. I understand, I understand a lot of the objections. I understand a lot of the questions. Maybe even some of the questions that you feel. I mean, do you ever feel like when you get to this part of the Bible, you're just asking, like, like, is this for us? Is this not for us? Does this still apply today? Does it not apply today? And how do I know? You know, this week, as I began studying and preparing to teach this, you know, on Monday, actually, I had like a really simple plan uh, on how I was going to teach this. Uh, on Monday, it was basically, I'm going to give you a 10,000 foot overview 
of the Old Testament law, how, how the law is there, why it's there, how it's divided into the moral law, and how it's divided into the civil law, and how it's divided into the ceremonial law. And here's how those laws are to be interpreted today. And, you know, something just didn't feel right. I think by Wednesday, I got to the point where I was like, something just doesn't feel like it's connecting. Like, is this, is this really how I should teach this? I think what happened was first, I realized I had a very boring sermon. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to try to spare you of that. But secondly, I began to see as I was just kind of reading these chapters over and over, and I was trying to immerse myself in this passage, I think I just began to realize that this doesn't seem to connect. There seems to be something not right about coming to this portion of, uh, of Exodus and just giving you a theological lecture on the purpose of the law. And what it was is, I think mean, by Thursday morning, I spent about an hour just reflecting, like just thinking back on everything we've seen in the book of Exodus so far. Really, over the last nine months, everything that we've seen unfold within this story, just starting from the very beginning. Remember how we said this was like the darkest of days? This whole story has been so dramatic. So intense from the very beginning, the darkest of days, mass genocide, children were dying, parents were being enslaved, they were crying out to God for relief. And what happens? He sees their pain, he he steps into the story, he sends Moses to deliver the people, and Moses, man, like that part's so epic, when when Moses going before Pharaoh, and there's this back and forth, and back and forth between Pharaoh, and then the plagues, and all these signs, and then suddenly God delivers his people, and he brings them out of Egypt, and separating the waters, and going through dry land, and the waters come crashing down, and brings them into the wilderness, and they're free, they're finally free, after 430 years, these people are free for what? For me to get to chapter 19 and say, and now here are all the rules and ordinances of the people of Israel, number one and number two. And number, it's like, no, that can't be it. There's got to be something. This whole story has been this dramatic interpretation of God moving in the lives of his people. Surely I don't just get to this and find this sterile, uh, sterile objective handling of the law. Now, there's got to be something more that's happening here. And you know what? After, after, kind of immersing myself in this, it was like, you know what? There is. There is something more happening here. It is not just what happens next. What happens next when God gives the people of Israel the law, it's actually, and it's incredible. I mean, this is, this is beautiful what's happening here. It's not just him stepping in like a substitute teacher trying to establish his authority, saying, all right, everybody listen up. Here are the rules today. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to make sure you follow me. No, what he's doing is not like a substitute teacher, but he's, he's more like a, a father with the, with the perfect balance of compassion and wisdom. He's coming before his people and he says, hey, hey, I know where you came from. Hey, I know what your slavery was like. I know the place that you came from. You had absolutely no choice. You had absolutely no voice. You had absolutely zero say in the outcome or the future of your lives. You had no choice in any matter. And now, now you're about to experience more freedom then you would even know what to do with a whole world of opportunity before you, where you'll be able to choose how to live, you're going to be able to choose how to worship, you're going to choose how to handle every single component of your lives, the areas of life that matter the most that you had no say in before, you now have a voice, which means you now have a decision to make. When it comes to love, 
sex, power, money, friendships, neighbor, property, everything. And here's what God does. Like a good father showing a deep, deep love for his people. He comes before his children demonstrating that love. And he gives him a gift. A gift in the law. It's a remarkably gracious gift. And I, I, my hope, here's my hope. My hope today is that as we just even look at the law and we, we kind of understand what's happening uh, in these chapters, we're going to see that what God is essentially saying to his children, to his people, is that what I'm setting before you in the law is the road to life. What I'm setting before you in the law is the road to life. If you listen to this, if you follow this, if you live by this, you will not only survive in this new land, you will thrive. It's my gift to you. So you don't have to, to wonder. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to try to, to invent this yourself. I am giving this to show you how you can truly live. So that's what we're going to do this morning, okay? We're going to be looking at five chapters in about 30 minutes. I got three points, okay? So I'm going to go as fast as I can as we move through this. Point number one, uh, what the law tells us about the lawgiver. Then we're going to see, secondly, what the law tells us about ourselves. And then finally, what the law was incapable of. Okay, so we're going to start with what the law tells us about the lawgiver. As I start, uh, I, I think we all know that uh, anytime we have a gift exchange between two people, think about, I mean, just even think the last time that you received a gift. Think about the last time you received a gift. You, we know that uh, anytime we receive a gift, it's communicating something. It's telling us something about the gift giver, right? Communicates things like, what are you willing to spend on me? Like, how much am I worth to you? How much thought are you willing to invest? Essentially, it tells us what type of person you are, right? I mean, there's like a direct correlation between what type of person you are and what type of gifts you give. So we're starting this morning by seeing what the law tells us about God as the lawgiver. First, his motivation. His motivation. Let's start by looking at verse 4 in chapter 19. Verse 4 in chapter 19. We're going to kind of camp out here in this portion of chapter 19 for the majority of our time this morning. Uh, Next week, just so you have a heads up on where we're going, we're going to spend actually two weeks in chapter 20 looking at the Ten Commandments, so I'm excited about that. This morning, though, we're going to look a lot at chapter 19. This is incredible. Look what God, God is speaking to Moses on the mountain. Look what he says, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, stop. You notice what happened there? You notice the the order of events? What came first and then what came second? He says, I bore you. I I, literally, I carried you like an eagle. It's a beautiful picture, like an eagle swooping down and rescuing them. In fact, look at the verbs in the sentence. I, I think I underlined them there for you so you can see. Yeah, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings, how I brought you to myself. What did Israel contribute to their salvation? What did they contribute to their deliverance? Did they fight their way out? Did they run out? Did they even walk out? No, he carried them out. They contributed absolutely nothing to their deliverance and salvation. What's the point? God says, I've already saved you. Uh, I've carried you on eagle's wings to myself. Now obey. You see, right away, we pick up something about God here and his motivation. This is how God speaks all the time. I've completely accepted you. 
I have loved you. I have delivered you. Now you are free to obey. Whereas every other religion on the face of the earth, even today, operates under the opposite principle. Every other religion thinks if you obey, if you do right, if you live right, then you'll be accepted, then you'll be loved, then you'll be blessed. Really, I mean, I think almost like every relationship in our lives tends to work on that principle as well. Like if you live right by me, then I will receive you. Right here, in black and white, and of course this is like, this is all throughout the Bible, particularly we see this most within, within Jesus and the gospel and what he does for us. But right here, black and white, God says, no, 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 I have cared you. I, I have saved you. I have accepted you. Now, therefore, obey. Not obey and then you will be accepted, but I have accepted you. Now, obey. You see why that matters? I mean, you start to see God's motivation here. He's not trying to earn our love or make us earn his. It's already been given. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't give them the law and then deliver them. He delivers them and then gives them the law. The law is just confirming an existing relationship, not establishing a new one. And that means God's motivation here. God's God's motivation, the reason why he's doing this and giving us the law, it can't be to earn our love or to make us earn his. It's already been established. It's much more. His motivation, his deepest desire here is to make us into his treasured possession. His treasured possession. I know that's kind of a weird phrase. We don't use that often, but it actually kind of helps lead into the second thing that we learn about the lawgiver, and that is his character. His character. Look again at verse five. Verse five, it says, if you obey my voice and you keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. That's kind of a strange phrase, right? Like, we're not typically using treasured possession in our normal vocabulary. What does that mean? Let me see if I can illustrate. Um, When you fall in love with somebody, like when, like when you truly fall in love with somebody, what happens? There's like this process, right? At first, like you kind of start, you know, it's like, you know, I, you know, just jump right in. But there's a little bit of like, I'm trying to feel this out a little bit. I'm trying to figure out how I feel towards you. I'm trying to like, you know, learn a little bit. But then like as that love deepens, as that, as that love grows, as that, as, that, as that infatuation really begins to take uh, depth there, what happens? Like there's some research that's going on, Right? Not like creepy research, not like background check stuff, but I'm saying like there's research, there's like some investigating that's going on. Like, I'm trying to learn what is it that you love? You know, she's trying to figure out what is it that he's ex- most excited about. I'm trying to figure out what is it that brings like the greatest amount of joy into your life. And what happens as you begin to figure those things out? Particularly at like the beginning of a relationship. What do you do? You just give it right? you just like, you don't even like ask questions. You're like, oh, that's what makes you happy. Here you go. Like, here it is. Like, I just want to make you happy right now. Uh, and w- w- what is that? There's something in the, in the course of a relationship. As you're growing in love with somebody, there's something about it that, that you see like your happiness is my happiness. Your being overjoyed is my being overjoyed. You know this also if you have kids, like you're on this quest to figure out what is it that brings incredible joy and happiness into your life. You know, shortly after uh, meeting Angela, my wife, uh, I remember trying to figure out not only uh, like what is it that makes you happy, but how can I also spend as many like, opportunities with you as possible? How can I be around you as much as possible? And uh, I was really proud. I found this this past week. Uh, it was almost seven years ago. 
almost seven years ago, she posted this on Facebook, okay? Uh, I want to see Harry Potter tonight. Yeah, this is like a public just out there for everybody in the Facebook world to see. Now, you'll also notice who is the very first person to respond. <laughs> It'll be, hey, exclamation point. <laughs> We actually had a group planning on going tonight, which is an absolute lie. None of that was true at all. But what was happening? I saw, okay, I know she loves Harry Potter. I know I want to be around her. I think the very first thing I did actually was call Brian and say, Brian, we got to get a group together right now, and we're going to Harry Potter tonight. They're like, I'll explain on the way. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Why? I knew she went. I could not miss an opportunity to try to be around this girl. And then, you know, afterwards, it's like, Andy, I didn't realize you were such a Harry Potter fan. It's like, Psh. Yeah, I, lo- I love Harry Potter. First one, love it. Second one, love it. This is the uh, seventh. Yeah, seventh one, absolutely love it. That was great. Can't wait for the next one. Like, I love Harry Potter. Yeah, I was like, I even told you last time I preached. Then what happens, you know, in our family now, years later, we are road tripping across the country, listening to Harry Potter audiobooks all together. We love it. We're, we love it. We think, it's like, man, her happiness was becoming my happiness. Her joy was becoming my joy. You see what God's saying here? It's incredible. He's saying, hey, I want you to be my treasured possession. I want to have such a unique relationship with you, a personal relationship, an intimate relationship, a distinct relationship with you as your God, not just a God, but the God who is your God. And you already know my character. It's not like you're being set up on a blind date here. No, like, what is everything we've already seen him do? In Exodus, I've listened to your deepest needs of your heart. I heard you crying out in your misery. I found you in your oppression. I met you in your slavery, and I came to you. I saved you. I rescued you. I delivered you. And now, if you want my happiness to be your happiness, if you want my joy to be your joy, if you want to understand what delights me, here's the law. Here's the law. Look at the law and see my character. See what I delight in. I delight in honesty. I delight in integrity. I delight in justice. I delight in love. I delight in your delight. And this is how you now live delighted in me. That's what the law is all about. You find your happiness in my happiness and you do that by obeying. By obeying the law. And then you'll become my treasure, my prized possession, my bride. Words that he'll later use to describe this relationship. It's amazing. The law describes to us the lawgiver. First, his motivation to make us his treasured possession, but then secondly, his character. The God who sees our greatest need. He steps in, he saves us, he delivers us. Now secondly, secondly this morning, what does the law tell us about ourselves? What does the law tell us about ourselves? Again, uh, we know that every gift exchange tells us something, uh, not only about the gift giver, it also tells us something about ourselves as recipients, right? Like anytime you think again, think about, like, think about one of the last gifts that you received. What does it tell you about yourself? Like, what do I value? What, what do I enjoy? What do I need? What, what is good for me? How does this benefit me? So secondly, what the law tells us about ourselves, first, what we most long for. What we most long for. If you look back at verse five, look at verse five with me. It says, now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Again, it's, this is motivation here. Treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. Verse six, don't miss this. Verse six, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
And when God says, you're going to be a holy nation, what he's basically saying is, you're going to become a radically new community. Holy means distinct, set apart, separate. Again, we have to keep remembering the content, keep remembering what's going on in the story of the Exodus. By the time God gave the people of Israel the law, it's kind of hard for us to imagine this, but they're basically just a nation of slaves. Like they had no law. There was like, prior to this, no law whatsoever at all. The only thing that they had known for the last few hundred years was do what your master tells you to do. Slaves. And so now, all of a sudden, Israel is, in many ways, like a college freshman being dropped off at the dorm for the very first week of school. And it's like, overnight, this happens, right? In one moment, it was a slave, and then all of a sudden, all this newfound freedom. I can do whatever we want. You know, I can do whatever I want right now. And God, I feel like this is an absolutely terrible illustration, but God is kind of like the RA who steps in. God, you are much more powerful than an RA. But God is, he, you know, he kind of comes in and he's just like, hey, uh, before you go off and make some wildly bad decisions that are going to totally wreck the future of your time here, uh, we need to talk. Here are some ground rules. Here are some guidelines to live by. He's saying, hey, you remember where you came from? You remember what slavery was like? You remember how bad that was? You, you remember how terrible that felt? You need some guidelines so you don't fall back into that, so you don't replicate that. I want you to be a holy nation. I want you to be set apart, even in your freedom. This is incredible. Don't miss it. Even in your freedom, I don't want you to live like slaves, but I want you to live like you truly have been freed. And so what God provides in the law, it's not designed to be a burden to his people. It's not designed to be a killjoy. I know this is a gift that will actually answer their deepest longings for freedom in nearly every area of life. That's what the law is all about. Answering our deepest longings for freedom in nearly every area of life. It's an outline for a fundamentally different, radically transformed human community. It takes nearly every area of life, sex, love, money, power, possessions, all this, and shows us how to view these parts of our lives as people who have been freed. Now, let me illustrate this. I I wanted to just take a couple of those areas. Uh, I'm going to take three, sex, money, power, and just do a little bit of sampling from chapters 20 through 23 to see how God radically transforms the way that almost every other culture on the face of the earth at that time was viewing these topics, okay? And, and, and as we see this, we're going to take a couple of these. I want you just even to think, and maybe just reflect how that's even taken shape within the life of our own church as we seek to be a people who are radically living a, a different way, a set-apart way. First, sex. Uh, here, here's the big idea. When it comes to sex within the Old Testament law, we see that God's law is giving radical value, dignity, and freedom to those who historically never had it. I say it again. God's, giving radical, God's law is giving radical value, dignity, and freedom to those who historically never had it. For example, you look at chapter 22. Look at chapter 20. This is the first culture in history in which adultery was not just a sin for women, but it was also a sin for men. Later in the law, you see, this is the first culture in which daughters could inherit their father's wealth and not just sons alone. In other words, women 
in an unprecedented way were to be respected. Women were to be valued. Women mattered. They weren't just objects. God's law was giving radical value, dignity, and freedom to those who historically never had it. And I was reminded of that even this, this past week. Uh, you may have seen last Wednesday, uh, Hugh Hefner, founder of Playboy magazine, passed away. He's one of the most popular trending topics on Twitter uh, this past week, all over the world. It was interesting as I was kind of even following what was uh, being said about him. Even there, some of you uh, told me earlier in the 9 o'clock service that there were some NPR podcasts that were completely contributed towards him. That he was praised by many as an innovator, a motivator, an inspirer, a genius. Those were literally the words I, I, I captured this week about Hugh Hefner. And it, man, it's just like bewildering. And we see the paradox there, right? And you see that where it's like on one hand, we're, we're a culture who, who is you know, doing everything we can to be a society that fights for equality and justice for women, yet somehow it's become socially acceptable in the last week for us to in many ways like praise the man who in many ways normalized the degrading and objectification of women. That essentially said a woman's worth and her value was based on how she looks and how she performs sexually. And this is where I'm just like, do we, do we, this is like, man, this is slavery. This is like, now we can't even think straight. This is why I'm like so grateful for the Christian faith. I'm so grateful even just for the church that we're able to say like, man, we look at women have purpose, they have dignity, they have value, they matter, not because of what they look like or what they're able to do, but because they are created in the image of God. They are daughters of the king. They are our sisters. We look to them as that. We don't look to them as objects. No, the Christian faith gives radical value, dignity, and freedom so that we don't have to be slaves to sexual sin. No, we can be a people who long for purity John, we long for that, right? Like, we, we hear that, we, like, we think, like, yeah, like, I, I long to live in the type of the world where I, I'm not a slave to sexual sin. Many of us can tell stories right now. We can all tell stories of like, man, like, I wish this part of my story didn't include this part. When it comes to sexual sin, when it comes to slavery, we feel there. I mean, we all can tell the story of like, man, I wish, I long for freedom here. I, I long for the life where I don't have to be enslaved to this. That's what the law of God was beginning to provide and show. Secondly, money. Money. Here's uh, God's law promotes radical generosity in place of self-indulgence. God's law promotes radical generosity in place of self-indulgence. You study the law of God, it actually has quite a bit to say about money. Part of that is because I think God just knows how uh, powerful money has the ability just to control our hearts. But when it came to money, and when you, when you read the Old Testament law, it's interesting. Every Israelite, by the standards of the Old Testament law, was required at minimum to give away 10% of their income each year. Share it with the, the community, share it with the church, share it with the priest, share it with the poor. But on every third year, there was an additional offering made uh, to really help the poor. And so if you prorated it, this is interesting, if you prorated it, uh, each year every Israelite was required to give away about 24% of their income, not just 10%, but 24%, which is almost a quarter of their annual income. They're just giving it away. Why? Like God was saying, hey, remember when you were in slavery? You had absolutely nothing. Yet I sustained you, I took care of you, Now that you have something, don't be enslaved by that. 
Now that you have something, don't let it rule over you. And the best way for you to remember that, that I will continue to provide for you, is by being radically generous with what you've been given. Now, rather than kind of doing the normal thing where you spend 100% of your income on yourself, I want you to give away what looks like an absurd amount of money. And in doing that, you're actually going to be more free. And that's the very reason why even today, like we encourage you here at the Summit Church, if you're a member of the Summit, to, to look at what God has entrusted you with, to look at the money that you've been given, and to say, how can I be radically, sacrificially, financially generous with what God has given me? How can I not spend 100% of my money, or like the typical American way, spend 105% of the money on myself, but how can I be radically generous with what God has been given me? I mean, a lot of us know what it's like to feel like enslaved when it comes to money. It's a terrible feeling, Right? We hate that. Our lives and the futures are all kind of dictated about finances. And God's saying, no, no, there's a better way. A way that you can live in freedom here when it comes to your money. And it's through radical generosity. We'll do one more. Uh, Power. Power. Here uh, we see God's law demands that radical love be shown to the vulnerable. God's law demands that radical love be shown to the vulnerable. Aliens immigrants, racial outsiders, all who are at great risk of being exploited. The law says in chapter 22, again, uh, if these people are among you, give them all the rights and all the privileges that you have yourselves. Why? God continues to say, you remember what it was like to be slaves in Egypt. Don't return to that. Don't even try to, to replicate that. You see, there's no society in like this in all of the world. This was completely unique, utterly different. The law was displaying their deep longing for a life of freedom. It was setting them up to be this radically unique counterculture, a community of people that looked at every aspect of their lives in a unique, set apart, a holy way. But here's the reality. And this is kind of what brings us to our third and final point this morning. What the law was incapable of of doing. What the law was incapable of doing. You see, the law, while it does on one hand show us the character of God, our lawgiver, and it also shows us what we must long for, a life of freedom. And while the law is a good and gracious gift, it had its limitations. Okay? It had, it had its limitations here. You see, you read the law, you read command after command after command about uh, this is how to live, and this is how to worship, and this is how to treat your neighbor, and this is how to love your spouse, and this is how to care for your children, and this is how to handle your money, and this is how to manage your property. All of these laws, and on and on and on and on. But there's one glaring problem when we read through this. And that is that the law can show you what a life of freedom looks like, but it can't make your heart obey. The law can show you what a life of freedom looks like, but it can't make your heart obey. Now that's why historically, the law of God has always been recognized as an irreplaceable tool for showing us what it is that our hearts really love. You read through these chapters, you see command after command after command, and just begin to notice, there's no way I can keep every one of these. Like, how is that possible? I can't love unconditionally all the time. I can't be radically generous in every single moment. I can't be the perfect parent, perfect husband, perfect friend, perfect church member without fail all the time. You see, the the law, it's like this mirror. You You look in the mirror, and the mirror shows you the dirt on your face, but it can't do anything to take the dirt off. 
In other words, we look at the law and we see the condition of our hearts, but the law can't do anything to change us. It's incapable of doing that. That's why you get to verse 8 here. Verse 8, I love it. It's really comical, actually. After Moses delivers all the law that God had given them, all the commands, he gives to all the people. Look at what it says in verse 8. All the people answered together and all said, what do they say? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Nope. (laughs) That's not going to happen. I mean, that's just like me writing on Angela's Facebook wall. Hey, we already have a group going tonight. It's not true. It's not popular. That's just not what happens. You know what the good news is here, though? You know the good news here? It's here that we see the beauty of the Christian gospel so clearly. It's amazing. You see, we look at the law. We see what it demands. We see uh, how we're able just to confess. There's no way I can perfectly keep this. There's no way I can possibly do this. There's no way I can possibly live this way. How can anyone perfectly obey? The answer is we can't. We can't. Apart from God, we're lost, we're drowning, regardless of how good our situation might even look. We are what the Bible says, slavery to sin. And we're spiritually dead. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means none of us, none of us has been ever able to perfectly keep the law. That's the bad news. That's why centuries later, centuries after the Exodus, Jesus Christ himself would break into history. And he would live the perfect, sinless life that we were never able to live. He would perfectly keep every command, satisfying the demands of the law on our behalf. He lived a perfect life, free from sin. And then he would go to the cross and he would die in our place for our sin. He would give his life as a sacrifice. Again, remembering in the Old Testament, every sacrifice that would happen, we'll see this in the law in the coming weeks, but every sacrifice to atone for our sin, week in and week out and week in and out. How do you get right before God? You have to, to sacrifice. There has to be the shedding of blood. And Jesus steps into history and he says, what the law foreshadowed, I'm going to fulfill. What the law was incapable of ever doing for you, the law could show you what a life of freedom begins to look like, but it doesn't have the power to actually bring that to fruition. In order for that to happen, you need the perfect Savior to come. That's exactly what Jesus would do. He would step into history and he would would perfectly fulfill the law. He would live the life that we were incapable of living. And then he would die the death on a cross for our sin. He's literally dying for lawbreakers like me and lawbreakers like you. Why? So that we could experience the transforming love and forgiveness of God. We could be restored back to a relationship with God. That we could be a people now, not just individuals, but we could become a people who understand what it is like to walk in freedom. To live out the very things that the law foreshadowed in Jesus Christ, we now have the opportunity to actually live in freedom. That's why the law exists. That's why the law is so beautiful. It it begins to point us to Jesus. It begins to show us, here's what life in Christ will look like. And if you follow it, if you obey, if you understand what God saves you, in order then to bring you into this relationship, you will experience the remarkably transforming, saving grace of Christ in no other way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your law. And this morning, even as we 
and we just be honest, I think we come to this portion of your Bible and it's easy for us to be frustrated. It's easy for us to feel confused. It's easy for us just to not even know what to do with your scripture. God, I pray that you would just, maybe in many ways, just give us the humility to be able to see this. When we look at the law to be able to see you, to be able to see your character, to be able to see what you delight in, understand even what it looks like for us today to faithfully follow you, Jesus. God, I pray for the man or woman here today who just maybe even still operates their lives under the assumption that if if they obey, if they work hard enough, that they're able to earn somehow your love. God, I just pray that that would just be exposed within our hearts. You've demonstrated clearly on the cross through Jesus dying for our sin, that you loved us, you've accepted us, you've saved us, you've, you literally have delivered us out of slavery so that we can be your treasured possession. And God, you still are in the business of transforming us, changing us to become more like you. God, I just pray that we would believe that this morning. I pray that we would walk in that. I pray that we would be the type of people who are pursuing freedom because you have set us free. So God, this morning I pray we walk in that. We receive that. And God, we give you all the glory for doing that. And it's in your name that we pray this. Amen.